0: Welcome to MUNCAST, MyMUN.com's podcast on all things Model United Nations. Welcome fellow delegates, fellow organizers, fellow MUNners to MUNCAST episode 2. We've been a bit quiet with MUNCAST over the last three weeks since we released episode 1. Um, that's be- because we've actually been recording a lot of episodes. We've recorded, I think, 10 episodes now. We'll be re- releasing them over the course of the next few weeks in a in a regular fashion. But uh, today we're doing a small interlude episode that doesn't have a guest, that's just me, and that has a particular topic that's very, very up-to-date um, and a very, very current topic, and that's data protection, privacy, and MU. Why are we talking about that topic? Why is it a very current topic? Well, last Friday was May 25th, and the GDPR came into effect, became enforceable in the European Union. What's the GDPR? The GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It's a very big law that's been in the making for a very long time, and it's been heralded, at least by the lawmakers, as a revolution in privacy, um, data protection in the European Union, it's been brewed by many in the well, let's say industry, for supposedly destroying entire industries, entire business models that used to rely on data collection and uh, monetizing user data. What's to come of that is not yet known. We'll have to see. A lot of the Things that are in the GDPR aren't clear yet. The courts will have to decide and give some some more meaning and give some more interpretation to what it all means. But one thing is for certain, the GDPR has stirred up a lot of interest, a lot of worries um, everywhere, basically. Sure, that if you're from the EU, or even if you're not from the EU, in the last two to three weeks, you've been receiving Probably an email a day that says we've updated our privacy policy. It's now uh, compliant with the GDPR. Please resubscribe. Please unsubscribe. Um, and you've also might have heard of sites that now stopped serving the European Union entirely. Um, there are some American newspapers, for example, the Los Angeles Times, who you can't visit anymore if you're from the European Union. Just gives you a message that says sorry, not available in the EU can't or won't comply with GDPRs, go away. Um, that already gives you a glimpse of what the GDPR means internationally. It's not just a European law for Europeans. The GDPR is applicable kind of worldwide. Because what it says is that if you process the data of somebody who is in the EU, in the European Union, you have to abide by the rules that are in the GDPR. and You have to do that even if you're in Singapore or Australia or on the moon. doesn't matter. As long as you process the data of somebody from the EU, you have to give them the rights and transparency and all the other stipulations of the GDPR. And that means the GDPR doesn't just apply to European MUN conferences. It applies to virtually every MUN conference in the world if you are at all receiving applications from, from Europeans or from people who are in the, they don't even have to be European citizens. Now, of course, the GDPR applies to MUN conference because they process data. Processing data just means that you do something to personal data. It can be saving, that can be exporting, that can be correlating with other data. And personal data is a very, very, very large, very wide, thing. Um, somebody's IP address is considered personal data under the. G- so even if somebody visits your website from the EU and record their IP address, for example, with Google Analytics, you're already under the auspices of PR. And of course, if you receive applications for your MUN conference, be that through MyMan, be that through Google Docs, be that through your own registration system, you are very, very much processing data, and you processing very sensitive, sensitive because you usually don't just take people's names and their address, maybe their credit card information. You also ask about their uh, their dietary preferences, their allergies, um, their age. You receive information about um, their payments, their travel plans and so forth. Those are all very sensitive sets of data. So in my opinion, Model UN is is an industry or is is a group of uh, people that really should pay attention to to privacy and data protection? Should have been doing that before the GDPR. It shouldn't really shouldn't take you know the the possible millions of euros of fines that you can find yourself subjected to under the GDPR uh, should be a matter of and should have been a matter of transparency and fairness to your users. So as I've said, the GDPR is relevant for basically every MUN conference in the world, no matter how they accept applications. Even if you have a website, you should at least take a second glance at the GDPR. Now, with that in mind, is MUN, are MUN conferences, are MUN um societies' websites, are they GDPR compliant? Or do they even care about your privacy and your Um, and your data protection. We've done a little bit of research and we've asked around a tiny little bit. And the fortunate conclusion is that no, uh, virtually no MUN conference, virtually no MUN company, society has a proper privacy policy, has proper security measures in place. And by no, no stretch of the imagination are they GDPR compliant. We sent out a questionnaire last week, uh, before a week before the GDPR came uh, became enforceable, to large MUN organizations um, around the world, to NMAN, to Simon, Harvard National MUN. We sent them a very very short questionnaire, yes or no questions. Are you GDPR compliant? Do you plan to be? What do you do to protect your um, applicants, your delegates' data? Um, now, them replied. Uh, at all, we haven't received a, a single reply. Not even a, don't bother us, for we won't tell you. Just, sign. That already tells you quite a lot um, about how MUNs worldwide think about privacy and data. Um, but maybe they were just too busy writing their privacy policy at the time, we thought. So we checked again a couple of days after the GDPR came enforceable last Friday. But unfortunately, the landscape is still pretty bad. I mean, if you just go to some of the largest MUN websites and check if they they even have a privacy policy, uh, you'll be very disappointed. Best Delegate doesn't even have a privacy policy. MUN Planet doesn't even have a privacy policy. Uh, Simon, the Hague International MUN, doesn't have a privacy policy. Harvard National Month doesn't have a privacy policy. Those are some of the most prestigious, largest MUN communities, MUN conferences, and they haven't even taken that first step to informing you about their private practice. And if they haven't done that, chances are that they really don't have a private policy in place. Otherwise, they would have told you. There are a few conferences that have been very proactive, on the other hand, about the gdpr and announcing that they have new privacy policies um ironically that's conferences in the uk most uk as you sure know is about to leave the eu but their conferences have been the most eager to be compliant with eu law so oxymoon and limoon those are the ones that i've seen personally they've already put out um gdpr well what they say are gdpr compliant privacy notices I personally don't think they fulfill the requirements of GDPR privacy policy at all. They're very short, inaccurate, um, need some work. But, you know, at least they tried. And at least they've acknowledged that it's an action item that they need to take care of. And they're working. But that's unfortunately not true for most, if not all, MUN companies. Now, is that particularly bad or embarrassing? Yes, but then again, most other websites and most other institutions haven't really taken care of this either. It's not just limited to MUN. I read an article yesterday, um, made me made me laugh out loud. Um namely the uh the EU Parliament's website and the U and uh, the EU Commission's website aren't GDPR compliant themselves yet. I they use cookies and they use um, IP tracking without informing the user, and that's already a breach of GDPR. So not even the institutions that made this law and that enacted it and that are supposed to, you know, watch over it being enforced, play by their own. So that that tells you that also tells you a lot about what the, the GDPR does. The, the EU Commissioner for Data Protection Famously said in an interview a couple of weeks ago that she herself, personally, could uh, take care of making a business or making a website GDPR compliant. Um, that clearly was a simplification, because if that were true, she at least could have taken care of Parliament website. All of this being said, what's the takeaway from that? MUNs don't care about your product? Oh, they should, though. I think we all agree. But what does that mean practically for, for you? Well, something the GDPR has done, and we've seen this at Maimon a lot, It is the following. It has given users, private individ- individuals, people a, a sense of entitlement and a, um, a sense of acknowledgement that they have certain rights and that companies and communities that process their data have to um, give, have to be transparent towards and have to enable them to control their data. And um, at least at Maiman, we've received quite a few requests in the last few days for uh, information, for deletion, for correct, you know, users um, exercising all of those rights that the GDPR gives claiming ownership of their data and asserting their ownership um, towards us. And that's great. I think that's amazing because the GDPR does a service to them and at the end of the day, about you asserting your rights as an individual and as, as a citizen. Now, that's the takeaway, in my opinion. And that's what you should assert to conferences that you are going to apply for or that you have applied for um ask them where is your privacy policy ask them is your database secure where do you host it who's who has access to the data how often is it backed up do you delete it regularly who's your data protection officer can i write to you for deletion or correction request um and you should be very very vigilant about this and you should make this a well, in the sense of competitiveness, you should make it a, a qualifier for MUNs. Say and actually tell the MUNs, I'm thinking about not applying to your conference because I don't trust you with my data. You don't have a privacy policy. Your registration system doesn't look secure. Uh which is funnily enough, some of the largest conferences in the world still use registration systems that uh don't even use encryption. So if you Apply, for example, to, uh, through Manbase, which is Tavert's system, or apply through Moonist, which is Simon's system. And if you do that using Firefox or using Chrome, you have a little badge at the top left of your browser that says not secure. And that's because they don't encrypt their communication at all. If you sign up to one of those conferences through their system, and you do that, for example, in a coffee shop, and you submit your password through that, you're submitting it clear text to everybody else in the net, And uh, there's 10 minute video tutorials that you can watch on how to uh, sniff passwords from unsecure net. That's, well, a very first, very simple step that, that conferences should take, and that you should ask them, and you should tell them, look, your registration system is not secure. Your privacy policy is not up to date. I don't appreciate that. Please improve. And if you assert your rights as an individual, towards conferences and towards other people in the MUN world, that only serves to to heighten the standard and to make sure that everybody is a bit more secure and a bit more safe in their data. Now, I've been um, tossing out a lot of, um, well, not accusations. I've been tossing a lot of um, of blame around. And I've done a lot of finger pointing just now at conferences at websites that are connected to MUN and aren't GDPR compliant and don't try to. Now, you might ask, is my man GDPR? Uh, we think we are. We've, done, we've really done our best to be GDPR compliant. Over the past couple of months, we've really sat down with everybody in the team from, from uh, marketing to uh, programming to, uh, to the CEOs and really thought about who do we share data with? Is all of this really secure? Should we continue doing this? What else can we do? What else can we offer? And how do we write it all down? How do we explain it to our users? And if you go to myman.com slash privacy, um, you'll find that we've adopted a very comprehensive, very um, exhaustive privacy policy that we think PR compliant. Um, it tells you everything you need to know about what data we get from you, why we get it, when we get it, what we do with it. Um, We even give you a complete list of all the companies that we share your data with. And, well, of course, we don't share it with everybody all the time. But, for example, let's say if you make a payment on Maiman, we share some of your personal data, such as your name and credit card information, with a company called Stripe. And maybe you weren't aware of that before, um, but now you are. Now you can go to the privacy policy of Maiman and see exactly what's happening with your data. And more than that, our privacy policy also tells you how you can exercise your rights as a data subject. You have, and I mentioned this in the first part, a lot of rights about your data and towards your data security. Now, you have the right to access. So you can ask us, what's the personal data you have about? Give me access to it, tell me. You have the right to rectification. So if we misspelled something or something's wrong, we have to fix it. Um, you have the right to erasure. So if you wanted to lead your account and all the personal data we've ever had about you, shoot us an email, we'll do that, We'll do that. no questions asked. You have the right to restrict processing. So, for example, you could tell us, yeah, I want to keep my account and I want to keep applying to MUN conferences, but I don't want you to give my data a try. Well, that means you can't do payments on my anymore, which isn't very practical, but You could do that. You also have the right to object to processing, which is very similar to that. You have the right to data portability. And that means you can ask us, please give me a machine readable, for example, JSON or XML output of my data. I want to input it somewhere else. I want to start my own MUN website and put it in there. That's also your right. And lastly, you have the right to complain to a supervisory authority be our guest, though we would really appreciate if you find fault with our privacy policy or our practice. You let us know first uh, because what happens when you go to a supervisory authority is that, well, first of all, they're very busy right now and they have very, very, very big fish to fry in MUN conferences or Maiman probably isn't among them, so you're not going to get your rights that soon. And even once they do do get around to processing your request They're probably just going to tell you, they're probably just going to tell us to do what you asked them to tell us to do, so you might as well. just. Contrary to popular opinion or contrary to what you might have read on some more, you know, yellow press outlets, the supervisory authorities don't slap fines or won't slap fines on um, data processors right away as soon as they forget a comma in their privacy they have to be reasonable reasonable about it. They're bound by law to be reasonable. Um, and so that means they're probably first going to send you a note. Stop doing this. Don't stop doing it. Then we'll So if your goal, we've talked about this in the beginning, if your goal in um, exerting your right as a data subject is to just get slap a fine on somebody, that's probably not going to work the way you imagine. And that's fine because data protection authorities are not your personal uh, enforcement agency. They're there to make sure that, by and large, people adhere to the law. That's just some words about your right to complain to the supervisory authority. If you plan to do that, please complain to us first, because we're really committed to um, rectifying our mistakes. That's why I've said, in the beginning, or a couple of minutes ago, we think we're GDPR compliant. We don't know, um, and we can't know for certain until you know supervisory authority gives us seal of approval, or after court and the judge says we are. That's one of the problems with the flavor of the rule of law. We have that unless take a suit all the way to the part um, of the. You are not going to get a lot of security and a lot of fidelity. What is actually perfectly legal. But anyway, lastly, there's one more right you have, and that's the right to withdraw consent. That's very similar to the the right to erasure, because what well, consents means is that you tell us yes, you're allowed to process my data for the purpose of making an account from uh, for the proce- for the purpose of processing my application, my payment and so forth and of course you can withdraw consent at any time now of course that also means you can't use the, the website anymore because if we can't process your data it won't work for you but that's for you to decide if you want to withdraw consent or if you want to exercise your rights, your right to erasure that's now i've walked you through all of the rights you have as a data subject you can also find them in our privacy policy under section number four and that explains to you what rights you have, explains in a bit more detail than I did just now, how they work, how you can claim. And keep in mind that this is not something we're giving you voluntarily. You have these rights towards any data processor, any website to any conference you use or you apply for, not just. And the data processor, which in this case is my month, they have to inform you about this. That's. Why, for example, I, I said that Oxymoon and Limeon privacy policies are inadequate, because they don't do that. They don't have a section that says, these are your rights, A, B, E, this is how you can enforce data. And they really should And If you're listening, feel free to copy-paste that section from the Maiman uh, privacy policy to own, to make sure that your users know what their rights are enforced. Now, I'm not going to walk you through the rest of the privacy policy because it's actually a very, very long document and it's um, going to take a lot more time than I'd like to spend on this podcast today. But, of course, if you have questions or concerns or corrections, anything like that, uh, please do let us know. We're always open and transparent about how we handle privacy data security. My man, And we hope that we can be... Um, a little bit of a good example in the MUN world. Maiman is, well, maybe one of the most, I'd say, trusted data processors in the MUN world. We regularly process personal information, applications, payments, visa applications of tens of thousands of individuals. And so far, we haven't had any data breaches. We haven't had any. Um, Major complaints or investigations thrust upon us, and we want to keep it that way. And we want to continue to set a very high standard. And if you can help us do that by giving us feedback or by exercising your rights, that's very, very much appreciated. Now, at the end of the podcast, just a quick disclaimer everything I've just explained is, well, first of all, my personal opinion, but of course, I also represent Maiman. Because I'm in charge of it, um, just legally speaking, um, the privacy policy that's on the website always has the last word. So if in this podcast I said something that contradicts what's in the privacy policy, the privacy policy takes precedence. We keep updating them and we keep correcting them. So if something that I've said here today becomes untrue in the future, always refer to the privacy policy. Now. This is the end of this episode. It's, uh, as I said, quite a short one, a little bit of an interlude. And uh, it was supposed to give you, an, first of all, an idea that there is a new law and that there is a new sense of rightful entitlement among people all over the world, but especially in the EU, about their rights as data subjects, And that's fantastic. And that should find its way into MUN. Sadly, it hasn't yet but uh, whether or not it does is up to you. It's up to you as a delegate when you ask for those rights to be fulfilled to you. And it's, asked, and it's up to you as an organizer. If you run your own conference, if you run your own MUN website, um, take some time to really consider your privacy um, behavior and to write a privacy policy. You don't have to write it all yourself. You hire someone to do that. There's lots of free templates on the internet that you can use. And don't be afraid that, you know, you need a 10-year law education to understand on. Privacy policies now have to be written. There's actually a, a requirement in the GDPR that they have to be in plain and easy and simple to understand language. And you can keep it that way. You don't have to write it in legally, write it plain English or whichever un- other uh, language. That concludes our episode on the GDPR, on privacy, on data protection in MUN. There's a lot of work to do yet and uh, we'll keep you updated on the development. Now, next week, we're going to release episode three of the MUNCAST podcast and my guest is going to be Jonathan Sasson. Jonathan is the president of Canadian Model United Nations, which is an umbrella organization from Guest Canada that now has over 60 conferences under their belt and I'll be talking to him about what it means to build a national community of MUN conferences, what's special about MUN in Canada and his own projects and his own involvement Monk Montreal. So make sure to tune in for that and until then take care.